morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. And uh, thank God for some sunshine, huh? It's beautiful out there, and it looks like it's going to be a great day, great day to be together and worship Him, too. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, thank you for being here. I'm really glad you're here. My name's Dan Halleck, and I'm the lead pastor here. I'd love to get to know you uh, if this is one of your first times here. I normally hang out over here after the service, and uh, I would love to, to say hi to you. If you, if you are new today, you, you came at a great time because we just started uh, going through this book of the Bible called Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, and in it, we get to read the eyewitness accounts uh, of what happened to Jesus and to his followers immediately after Jesus rose from the dead. And these first Christians uh, were vital witnesses to the world and to us, obviously, because they were the only generation of people that actually walked and talked with Jesus while he lived on earth. A witness, witness, is someone who sees an event and reports what happened. Okay? A witness is somebody who sees an event and reports what happened. A witness is, is not somebody whose job it is to invent uh, this crea created story. It's not a witness's job to make up uh, this narrative of his or her imagination. A witness is someone who simply sees something happen and then tells others what he or she saw happen. Uh, if you've ever witnessed a car accident, then maybe uh, you've given a report to the police as an eyewitness. Or uh, if you've ever known information related to a crime, maybe you were called into court as a witness. Or if you've ever witnessed an unusual event, maybe uh, you were on TV and you described what you saw. Uh, the past few years, there, there have been some memorable eyewitness interviews published on the internet. And I want to briefly look at three of those, okay? Just minding my own business. Bam! Hit me hard right from the back. I was glued to my seat. I was like, Whoa! I could see the car in front of me. I was about to hit him. So I kind of veered off this way. As I veered off this way, the guy who hit me veered off that other way. And he hit the curb, flipped over, rolled over, run into the electrical pole. And I didn't know he hit the pole. All of a sudden, I kind of stopped. And I was like, Whoa! And uh, the wires come down. Boom! And then arc, arc, bam! That fire was coming everywhere. It was arcing, sparking, blowing up. I saw one arc, arc go from the corner of my van up to the car behind me. It was like a big rainbow. Boom! And it was coming up. Boom! Boom! And I was like, yeah! So I, I opened up my door. I didn't touch no metal. And as I come up, I started to touch the top. And a little spark jumped up. I said, whoa! I, I stepped out the rest of the way. Lucky I didn't get burned more. So, crazy. Oh, it was crazy, dude. I was just sitting there, and I was like, oh! <laughs> Reality hits you hard, bro. Hey, Joaquin, I'm out here with Apollos Hester, wide receiver for the Patriots. You guys had one heck of a game tonight. Uh, how'd it go? I mean, it was going a little back and forth. You guys knew it was going to be a tough dogfight out there, and it was. So what were you guys able to do to come back and win this thing? All right, well, at first we started slow. We started real slow. And, you know, that's all right. That's okay because sometimes in life you're going to start slow. That's okay. We, we, we told ourselves, hey, we're going to start slow. We're going to keep going fast. We're going to start slow, but we're always, always going to finish fast. No matter what the score was, we're going to finish hard. 
we're going to finish fast. Yeah, they had us the first half. I'm not going to lie. They had us. We weren't defeated, but they had us. But it took guts. It took an attitude. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to be successful is an attitude. And that's what our coach told us. He said, he said, hey, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You're going to go out there. You're going to battle. You're going to fight. You're going to do it for one. You're going to do it for one another. Do it for each other. You're going to do it for yourself. You're going to do it for us. And you're going to go out with this win. And we believe that. We truly did. And it's, it's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome feeling when you truly believe that you're going to be successful. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the scoreboard, you're going to be successful because you put in all the time, all the effort, all the hard work and you know that it's going to pay off and if it doesn't pay off you continue to give God the glory if you still lose the game you continue to get each other's back and that and that's what we realized regard when or lose we realized that we were gonna be all right it was gonna be okay we're gonna we're gonna keep smiling it was awesome awesome what did you think about the ride it was great and apparently I've never been on live television before but apparently sometimes I don't watch this I don't watch the news because I'm a kid and apparently every time apparently grandpa just gives me a remote after we watch the Powerball. It's the Powerball. <laughs> Tell me about the ride. What did you think about the ride? Well, it was great. Why? Because apparently you're spinning around and apparently every time you get dizzy. Yeah. That's all you do is get dizzy. Is it fun? <laughs> yeah. And I've never ever been on live television. I never ever be on live television. Are you excited? Yeah, and apparently I only went down the super slide. When I went down the one, I was scared half to death. I just freak out. Okay, okay. Those are good. So a witness is somebody who sees an event and then reports what happened. Okay, now those, those witnesses in that clip... Uh, were funny, obviously, in the way they shared their accounts, but they were witnesses nonetheless. Now, other types of witnessing are much more serious and much more consequential, right? Uh, like when you're a witness in a courtroom or when you're witnessing to people about things of eternal significance. Well, last week we read in Acts that uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent a good amount of time with his apostles to prepare them to be his witnesses to the world. Jesus prepared them in a few different ways. Acts 1, 1 to 5 first says that Jesus presented his resurrected self to the disciples and that he gave them many proofs that he really had uh, defeated death. And these proofs included allowing the apostles to feel the scars in his hands and in his side, uh, eating breakfast with them and eating dinner with them, walking and talking with the apostles, and even presenting himself alive to a crowd of 500 people. And in addition to these physical proofs of his resurrection, Jesus also prepared the apostles to be his witnesses by teaching them more about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus showed them, it says, from the Bible, how he was the Messiah whom all of the Old Testament pointed forward to. Jesus taught them the importance and the necessity of his sacrifice on the cross to forgive people, to take away their guilt, to save them into a relationship with God as they trust in him. And then Jesus told the apostles that he would soon return to heaven in order to be exalted at the right hand of God the Father. And Jesus did all these things after his resurrection because he wanted the apostles to clearly understand everything to which they would be his witnesses. 
Because very soon, he was going to send them out into the world and to tell them that Jesus, uh, tell the world that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead in order to give us eternal life and friendship with God. And, and to all who receive him, we, we, we read in John's gospel, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, Jesus gives the right to become children of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, then how is your witness? What does it look like for you to be Jesus' witness in your home, uh, at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood? How, how can you and I be an effective witness for Jesus, the kind of witness that he's looking for? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. If you got your Bible with you, we're going to continue in Acts. In, uh, you can open up to uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And before we read this, let's, let's ask God to help us. God, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us through your Bible. Uh, we just declare that you have done wonderful, unbelievably gracious things for us. And we thank you uh, for all the wonders that you have done throughout human history and throughout our own lives that, that point us to you and that point us to our need for you and that point us to your glory we thank you, God, for, for loving the world, for loving us, for forgiving every sinner who repents and trusts in you. We thank you that you're a good king, that you are reigning over heaven and earth with righteousness and perfection and justice. We thank you for being with us. Thank you for being with us always and for helping us in so many ways and for giving us the supernatural power, a supernatural desire to love you, and a desire to be holy like you are holy. And as we open your word, we just ask that you would please help us, Holy Spirit. Um, please help us through your word to see what it means to be your witnesses, and to be your witnesses with boldness, and grace, and truth, and love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So what we'll do is we'll begin by reading Acts 1, 1 to 8 so that we can see the context. And then uh, we'll focus in on verses 6 to 8. The writer is Luke. And he puts, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's where we're going to stop today. 
Jesus had just finished teaching the apostles apostles about the kingdom of God and how uh, the gospel must be preached to all nations. But here in verse 6, it says that uh, the apostles asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. They're looking around. They, they've, they're, they're, they've met up now outside of Jerusalem. They're at the Mount of Olives, uh, according to verse 12. And they're thinking, Jesus is now gonna put Israel back on the map. The apostles wanna know if, if, if Jesus is gonna make Israel great again, okay? I can imagine them walking around Jerusalem with, with their matching red ball caps that said, make Israel great again. Um... <laughs> And at this point, the apostles failed to see the magnitude of what Jesus is doing. They, they failed to see the, the bigness of the kingdom of God. They didn't fully understand that the good news of God is for all people on earth. And they were, they were caught up in their old way of thinking that the Messiah would come to earth as a mighty politician or a ruler. And they, they wanted this Messiah to destroy the political enemies of the nation of Israel. To, to free the Israelites from the Roman Empire so that Israel could rule on earth again like the good old days. The apostles didn't understand that in order to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth, their greatest need was for spiritual power, not political power. God saves people from all nations and transforms their lives here on earth and for eternity when the gospel of Jesus is shared by loving Christians who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's a good reminder for us in America, too. As much as we miss the days when America was predominantly Christian, and as much as we hope and pray for a revival to see that happen again, we've got to remember that we do not need political power in order to spread the gospel. What we need is the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit who changes the hearts and minds and eternities and souls of people. So regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of what happens in D.C. or Olympia, what we really need, our most important need, is for God's Holy Spirit to work in the spiritual realm to move in power and to change hearts. Ultimately, our hope must be in the sovereign power of God and not in the agendas or political groups of the American people. So how did Jesus respond to the apostles after they asked him if he would now make Israel great again? Well, in verse 7, he says to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So in other words, Jesus tells them, don't worry about the things to come. It's not for you to know. Don't don't worry about when God's people will be vindicated. Stop wasting time trying to predict when I'll come back to earth and judge the nations because you will never know. Only the Father knows. He's had this conversation with them before. He says this, instead I want you to focus on the mission I'm giving you. I want you to take the gospel, this good news, I want you to take it to the ends of the earth as you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and as you love your neighbor as yourself. That's your task. So focus on the task and leave the rest in my hands. And then Jesus adds in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is Jesus' final commissioning of his apostles before he ascends to heaven. And he tells them, you will be my witnesses. Remember, a witness is somebody who sees an event and then reports what happened. The apostles had already seen Jesus' sinless life. They'd already seen his death on the cross. They'd already seen his glorious resurrection and his resurrection body with their own eyes. They'd felt him with their own hands. They'd talked to him with their own voices. And now they would report all of this to everybody they came across. And Jesus tells them uh, where they will be his witnesses in the exact order that it would happen. It's actually kind of like an outline of the book of Acts. They will start in Jerusalem, which is the capital of the Jews, and they would witness in the city. And then the apostles would go to the surrounding region of Judea to proclaim to all the Jews that the Messiah had come in this person, Jesus of Nazareth. And then the apostles would go to Samaria, okay, this outlying region up north, to witness to the Samaritans about Jesus. Now, this would have sounded like crazy talk to the apostles, okay, hearing, hearing Jesus say this. Because their whole lives, these Jewish apostles had been taught, stay away from the Samaritans. Because they're half-breeds. They're unclean. Don't be associated with them. Don't talk to them. But here, Jesus continues to break man-made barriers. He breaks racial barriers. He breaks cultural barriers by commanding the apostles, go to them. Go to the Samaritans. Jesus is essentially telling them, the Samaritans may be a different race than you, but they were made in the image of God just like you were. And they can be saved just like you through faith in me. And then after going to Samaria, the apostles would advance even further to witness to the, to the rest of the known world. And at that time, the, the, the rest of the, that basically included the Roman Empire um, and, of course, the great city of Rome itself. And here in verse 8, Jesus reminds the apostles that before they start to witness about Jesus here in Jerusalem, they need to wait, okay? They need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Remember earlier, Jesus promised the apostles that when he ascended to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit to help them. And it was crucial that they wait for the Holy Spirit before they started to witness because the power of their witness was not in themselves. And it was not in their own intelligence. It was not in their own public speaking abilities. The power of their witness was in the Holy Spirit who would indwell them and empower their ministry and who would change lives and minister in power supernaturally. And this was encouraging news for them because these uh, even though these 11 men had the fancy title of apostle, they were completely ordinary guys. They, they did not have perfect track records. They, some of them did have checkered pasts. Their, their faith in Jesus was not perfect. And yet these were the guys that Jesus would use as his first witnesses. And this should be an encouragement to you and to me too that God uses regular people to grow his kingdom. That's his game plan. He uses regular people to witness to the world. He uses flawed people to advance the kingdom on earth. 
He uses people with checkered pasts to testify to the forgiveness and new life that is available in Jesus Christ. You don't have to know all the answers to all the questions people ask you. You just need to know that Jesus is the answer. <laughs> and you need to ask the Holy Spirit, and I do too, regularly. Lord, make my words powerful to the people I'm talking to. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the end of the world has not come yet. Jesus has not returned to earth from heaven, and that means that the gospel of the kingdom must still be proclaimed throughout the whole world. There are literally billions of people alive right now around the world, many in our own country, who do not know that they can have eternal life and friendship with God through faith in Jesus. And Christians, we, we are the ones to whom Jesus has given the responsibility and the privilege to witness to others here in Stanwood, in Arlington, in Everett, and everywhere we go, even to the ends of the earth. So let's bring this a little closer to home, okay, by asking a question which you don't have to answer out loud. Is this important to you? Is Jesus' commission to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth really important to you? How can you tell? Is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth so extremely important to me that it actually determines how I live, how I act, the things I think about, who I talk to, how I invest my money, how I invest my time. And you might look at your life and honestly admit, you know what, I don't really live in a way that shows that it's important to me that Jesus' mission is completed. And you know what, if that's what you're thinking today, that's great, that's okay, you're being honest. And that's a great place to start. And none of us are perfect at it. I mean, none of us, I mean, we're all, none of us are perfect. That's why we've got to keep coming to the word and keep coming to the gospel to keep our eyes on the right, on the right goal. In order to believe that Jesus' mission is important and then to live a life that is shaped by that conviction, you and I need a really good answer to this question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter whether or not we spread the good news of Jesus? So what? Jesus gave this commission to his followers 2,000 years ago. Hasn't been fulfilled yet. What does it really matter to me as a student or a young person or um, an adult or parent or grandparent or elderly person living in Stanwood, Washington? Why does it really matter to me? Well, in the Bible, God says that there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake for God, there's a lot at stake for ourselves, and there's a lot at stake for other people. First, the, the glory and honor of God is at stake. Okay? The true holy God of all creation, who's wonderful, is not being worshipped by billions of lost people. 
who were created to be worshipers, but are instead worshiping themselves or other people or idols made by the hands of men. And God wants humanity to know him, and he wants humanity to worship him, because he is alone worthy of all of our worship. He deserves our worship, and he even says he's jealous for our worship in a righteous way. He's jealous. His glory he will not give to another. And if God lives to glorify his own name, shouldn't we live to glorify his own name? (laughs) Jesus' mission for us matters because the eternal condition and the eternal joy of our friends and our peers and strangers and everybody on this earth is on the line. Every human being on planet earth was created in this image of this invisible God and he created them to know him. And billions of people don't know him. They're lost in drugs and in addictions and sexual immorality and and, in their own pride and in the pursuit of wealth and fame. If I just get that, then that will make me happy and fulfilled. They're lost in believing that their own good works can give them eternal life. If I just am a good person, that's got to be enough to be fulfilled and to please God. Like all of us at one time were, the people around us are broken and rebelling against God and looking for answers in all of the wrong places. And Jesus says that without him, people are going to hell. Billions of people, including our neighbors right now, are headed to an eternity of suffering separated from God. And while God is holy and just and will righteously judge all people for their sins, he also says in 1 Timothy 2.4 that he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, I didn't come to earth to condemn people. He came to save people because they were already condemned by their sin. And God has appointed to you and to me, if we are his followers, to declare the greatness of his name, the greatness, the wonderfulness of his salvation in Stanwood and to the ends of the earth. And don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of seeing people know the love of God and experience the joy of knowing Jesus? Don't, don't you want to see God change people's lives and, and change their priorities so that they live now to invest their time and talents and treasures for the glory of God's name? I do. That excites me. I read a quote this week that really hit me. Pastor Tony Merida writes, little love for the king produces little zeal for the king's mission. May the spirit deepen our love for this global savior. Let me read that one more time. Little love for the king produces little zeal for the king's mission. May the Spirit deepen our love for this global Savior. If we're not excited about the King's mission, it's likely we're not excited about the King. Otherwise, we would want the whole world to know Him. And we can't, this is the thing, we can't manufacture zeal for the King's mission. We can't fake it. This zeal for God and His glory and His mission must come from God's Holy Spirit. And so what we do is this, we pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, please deepen our love for your global Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, please change our hearts. Please align our hearts and our priorities with your heart and with your priorities. 
And as we pray that prayer, we thank Jesus for dying on the cross to forgive us for our lack of zeal for the glory of God. We thank Jesus, who is perfectly zealous for the Father's glory, for taking away our guilt and for giving us credit in God's sight as the one who gave everything for the glory of God's name. What a Savior. (laughs) We thank God for for using the Holy Spirit to, to make us born again, and we ask the Holy Spirit Spirit, please baptize us again with your power and love, with a a zeal for your mission. I need your help, God, because it's not in me. Jesus' mission for us to be his witnesses to all the world matters because God's name deserves to be feared and worshipped in all the earth. And also, it is only by knowing Jesus through faith that humans will find eternal life and everlasting joy and salvation and joy in this life, and freedom from sin and Satan and death and hell. Now, if you're here today and you're thinking, I do want to witness for Jesus, but but how do I do that? Well, then I've got three application points for you in the form of three questions. First, how can I be a witness for Jesus if I'm not an eyewitness to his death and resurrection? That's a good question because you remember earlier I, uh, I defined a witness as somebody who sees an event and then reports what happened. Well, what can, how, how can you be a witness to Jesus if his death and resurrection happened 2,000 years ago? Uh, it's true that you and I are not witnesses in the sense of being eyewitnesses like the apostles and the first Christians were. However, because God sovereignly preserved the testimonies of the apostles in the New Testament and the Bible... We have access to their eyewitness every time we open the word. And remember that that as God's witnesses, God doesn't expect you and me to create a new message, but simply to share the old message that the kingdom of God has broken into history, that it's advancing in our world by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that people can have eternal life with God right now through faith in God, whose name is Jesus Christ. And in addition, man, if God has made you born again through faith in Jesus, then your very life, your, 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 your personal testimony is a powerful way to tell others how Jesus has changed you. Okay, second application question. How can I be a powerful witness for Jesus at school, at work, in my neighborhood, everywhere I go? How can I be a powerful witness for Jesus? Well, I, I like the way that uh, the website gotquestions.org answers this this question. It says that in order to be effective in our witness, we should remember four basic things. Three, and then I added one, okay? Um, First, the theme of our witness must be Jesus Christ, okay? In first Corinthians, and I, I would stress that we have to say the name Jesus Christ because when you talk about God anymore, that can mean a million things to people, okay? When you talk about Jesus Christ, that can mean different things to people. So we're talking about Jesus Christ of the Bible, In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul defined the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So if we're not sharing why the death and resurrection of Jesus matters to us, why that's good news for us, then then we're not sharing the gospel. Uh, Jesus Christ says that he alone is God. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what we share. 
Second, in order to be an effective witness, uh, the power of our witness is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who, he's the one who saves people. He's the one who makes people reborn, who transforms lives. And according to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is in us when we trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is on mission with us. And he also moves how and when he wants to because he's sovereign. So it's not like a genie in a bottle thing where we say, okay, Holy Spirit, do this. He's the sovereign spirit. Jesus uh, references him in John 3 where he says, well, he talks about the wind. The wind blows how and wherever it wants to blow. The spirit blows that way. In Greek, the word spirit and wind is the same word, pneuma. So before, during, and, and after our witnessing, we've got to pray to him and ask him to work in powerful ways to save souls and to glorify Jesus' name through our witness. We've got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And third, in order to be an effective witness, the validity of our witness will be shown through the way we live our lives. Okay. Philippians 2, 14 to 15 tells Jesus' followers to do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights or stars in the world. So your lifestyle, the words you say, the, the way you behave around Christians and non-Christians, all, all these things either validate or invalidate the power of your witness. When people look at the way that you live and the way that you treat others, can they tell that you actually believe this good news that you say you believe? Now, rebellious people, rebellious living that doesn't value God or doesn't pursue his holiness invalidates the power of your witness to others. And on the other side of the spectrum... Religious living that trusts in your own good works so that you can be better than others or so that you can save yourself also invalidates the power of your witness. So instead, we seek to live gospel-centered lives that intentionally pursue God's holiness because Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. So we want to be like Jesus. We pursue his holiness by obeying his commands. And at the same time, we readily see and confess our many failures to do that. And what do we do with that when we fail? Well, in the gospel, we have, Jesus says, we confess those sins to Christ, and we claim our forgiveness in, in Christ. We, we continue to pursue, pursue holiness for the glory of God without fear of God's condemnation because through faith in Jesus, God has already declared us holy in his sight. And the fourth way to be an effective witness is to suffer for Jesus' name. Suffering for Jesus is and has always been one of the most powerful ways to witness to the world. Uh, the, the word that Jesus uses for witnesses in Acts 1.8 is martus, from which we get the word martyr. So you will be my martyrs to the ends of the earth. In the early church, being a witness for, for Jesus often meant that you would be a martyr for Jesus and you would likely be killed for your faith. And so, thus, over time, the word witness and martyr became synonymous. 
In Matthew 24, 9, Jesus said, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So think about this. Jesus is saying, go to all nations with the gospel, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Not by everybody in those nations. Somebody will, some will believe. But in general, expect to be hated. And this is what has happened to Christians throughout, this, the, uh, throughout church history, and this is what is happening right now in our world, and this is what will continue to happen until Jesus comes back. The more closely we cling to Jesus and to his teachings in a world that despises Jesus and his teachings, the more we can expect to suffer. Um, I was standing on the sidelines of one of my kids' sporting events recently, <clears throat> a place where I kind of like to just chill and not have deep theological discussions. Um, and thankfully, I wasn't in one, but I overheard one lady it really surprised me because it was all peaceful and then all of a sudden it got really intense. And she scolded another lady in front of everybody for being intolerant, for not allowing her son to participate in a club that promotes the LGBTQT community. Listen, we can love, we love people in the LGBTQ community. It doesn't mean we have to approve of it, okay? And I don't know what, religion this allegedly intolerant lady was but I was so proud of her by simply saying well I think the organization is being intolerant for not tolerating my beliefs Man, I was so surprised by that interaction I was like that's good um, I thought about this for several hours because it kind of rocked me because I was thinking how would I have responded um, because basically she just said be tolerant and she turned around and that was the end of the conversation and, you know, I'm not very quick on my feet, so I tend to think of good responses like 24 hours later. <laughs> I wake up in bed and like, that's what I should have said, man. And there's a lot of ways to come back to that, but to come back to people with that, and we're not going to talk all about that today, but this is a reality. You know, I was reading the Ten Commandments with my kids this week and going over and talking about how Jesus fulfilled those for us, even though we can try to pursue, we should pursue those knowing we rest in Christ, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's okay to be intolerant of some things. God is intolerant of many things, and those things are called sin, and sin ruins people's lives, and it ruins society, and it sends people to hell. And even if people are, are mean to us, even if they disagree with us, it is totally right to respectfully say that many of the things that society calls good, the Lord calls evil. You don't have to be a mean person to say that. Say it with a tear in your eye. But being persecuted for Jesus is, is, is part of being his witness. It doesn't always feel good. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit often grows the kingdom in an amazing ways through the persecution of Christians, always. You look around the globe where there's the highest persecution of Christians right now, that's where the gospel's going nuts, where people are getting saved. Okay, now, the, the, uh, the third and final application question for us here today is, uh, how can we together as a church be an effective witness here in Stanwood and to the ends of the earth? Uh, much could be said about this, but let me just 
like three suggestions here from the Bible. So they're not suggestions, they're thoughts from the Bible. First, uh, I'm trying to hammer this into my own heart and into yours, that we must be people of prayer who plead with the Holy Spirit to work powerfully through our gospel witness. I read this. Someone once said that 95% of what happens in many evangelical churches could be done without the Holy Spirit. Ow. I thought about that. I thought about that for several days this week, and I pray that Cedar Home's not that way, and if it is, then I want to repent of that. And I want us to become a more of a praying church that's totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. Because tr- we know this. A church can have all the programs imaginable, and pro- programs in, themsel- in and of themselves aren't bad at all. It can be a really good way to, to reach people. We, but we can be busy, busy, busy as a church. But if the Holy Spirit isn't in it, then it's all futile. Okay? So in everything we do as a church, everything we do as a church, we have to saturate it with humble prayer asking God to work. If you're leading a meeting of any type at church, man, I just encourage you to pray and ask the Spirit to work. And I know it doesn't feel natural sometimes because we don't do that very often in our culture. But we need to be countercultural that way. We need to pray. If you're meeting with a friend for accountability or for Bible study, please pray together. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. If you want heart change, that's how it happens. The Holy Spirit works on you. If you're leading a community group in our church, and I, 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 I give you the responsibility, please make sure we, you, your group spends time praying for one another and praying for our church. Whether you're with others or you're by yourself, will you please pray for the Spirit to work in power at Cedar Home and through our efforts? And what that looks like is up to God. Okay? But we need to pray. We can do nothing without him. And we demonstrate that we believe that when we pray to him. The second way for us as a church to be an effective witness here in Stanwood and to the ends of the earth is by building relational bridges with non-believers. Building relational bridges with non-believers. So in order to love our neighbors and to witness to them, we've got to have some sort of relationship with them. And sometimes that's a difficult thing to do. Sometimes that's not um, a natural thing maybe for you to do. And so we need to build relational bridges by which we can get to our neighbors and our neighbors can get to us. And uh, this is why we, we're doing, like, for instance, this No Tricks uh, Just Treats Night on October 31st. This is why we invite you to, 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 to participate in this to help build some bridges with our neighbors. This is why we encourage you to help us provide hot chocolate to families at the soccer field. And this is why we want you at the dessert theater in December. It's all for this. We wanna, we wanna build bridges. We're not hosting events just to do events. I don't know about you, but I'm busy. The purpose of these events is to help build relational bridges with our community, especially those people who don't know Jesus or his love. And if you want to build bridges with our neighbors, if you want to show the love of Christ at the same time, then participate in what the church is doing. I don't want to hear anybody say, well, I'm not plugged in and you haven't done anything to get me plugged in. We have lots of ways to get plugged in. The question is, will you show up? Okay? 
in your bulletin, you'll also see an insert that has 25 ways to be missional in your neighborhood. I was just like, ah, I'll just include this. Something fun for you to look over lunch, look at over lunch. And these are just ideas that will help you uh, establish a relationship with your neighbors and, and witness to them with the love of Jesus. I don't know, I don't know what your story is, but these, what your, your faith story is, these walls, these church walls are extremely intimidating for many, many of our neighbors in Stanwood to come through, especially since this church has the word Baptist in its name. It's reality. Most Baptists are getting rid of the word Baptist in our region. Just saying that, okay? Because it makes it hard. How do you get somebody to come to a Baptist church, right? Well, you'd be surprised. We're not what you normally think of as Baptists when you come to our church, okay? That word has a lot of baggage in different areas of our country. It just does. In certain areas of the country, that's actually going to get more people to come to your church. But the reality is we've got to build relationships with our community and neighbors by loving them with the gospel out where they live and also by inviting them to events at our church and showing them, you know what, you're not going to get beat up here. This isn't a scary place. We're not out to get you. We love you. We're not perfect. We're going to sin against you, but we love you and we want you here. And the third way for us as a church to be an effective witness here in Stanwood and to the ends of the earth is by investing our resources in international missions. One of the most powerful ways we take the gospel to the ends of the earth is by investing our time, energy, and money into Christian missionaries who are taking the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. Families that we support, like the Weebies and Chad or the Mienis in Swaziland, we have a whole list of them, uh, as well as missionaries that you might know that need our prayers and encouragement and financial support. We take the gospel to the nations through them, right? Because we can't all go to every country. But the way that you take the gospel to Chad is by supporting the Weebies through prayer, through encouragement, through financial support. And I would just say this as a side note. If you have the gift of encouragement and want another way to get plugged in, would you contact Matt? Could you just raise your hand? Okay. Matt's in charge of missions here. Contact him or somebody at the church office and just ask for a few addresses of our missionaries and just send them an encouragement note once a, you know, once a month. It's hard being a missionary out where you're alone. We live in a really, one of the things I've heard from missionaries coming back to America is we forget, even though America is going through a lot of stuff, we forget the Christian richness that is here. And you miss that when you're out alone and no longer in fellowship with other believers. And we got to let our missionaries know, we haven't forgotten you, we love you, and we're thinking about you and praying for you. Christians uh, have taken the gospel to much of the world, but there are still billions of, of, of people without a gospel witness in their people group. And if you're interested in this, I encourage you to take this class called Perspectives on uh, the World Christian Movement. I took it with some other people in our church last year, and it's kind of an intense class. But boy, if you're into missions, it's just kind of like you meet with a different missionary every week for 15 weeks and hear about what's happening on the front lines of missions around the globe. And, and the reality is that many of the places left for us to take the gospel are simply really dangerous places. And so we need to pray to God to send missionaries there, knowing full well that they might likely be killed for their faith. Places in northern India that have no witness, places in North Africa, 
places in the Middle East, East that haven't even heard about Jesus. On your back of your bulletin, you'll see that we post a different people group every week that, that has little or no access to the gospel of Jesus. And at a very minimum, we want to be praying for these people groups and for any gospel workers there. Maybe that's something you can do with your family today is just pray for that people group over lunch. Okay, you guys, let's, uh, let's continue to make our gospel witness effective at Cedar Home by saturating our church life with prayer, uh, by building relational bridges with our neighbors, and by investing in international missions. Because if we are Jesus' followers, then we will be his witnesses to the world around us, both as individuals and as a church. And if we stay faithful to God's word and his message, if we trust in Jesus, if we love one another through our words and our actions, if we plead with the Spirit to work powerfully through our efforts, and if we boldly step out in faith and share Jesus with others, then God will work through our witness in mighty ways, and we leave the results in his hands. Join me now as we ask God just to do that. Lord, we thank you um, for first uh, being an awesome holy God who loves us and who wants friendship with us and has made that available to us by overcoming our sin for us in Jesus Christ. Um, thank you for making us your ambassadors to this world, which is a huge holy calling. I thank you that you use imperfect people and people who are not good speakers, people who are, don't know all the books of the Bible, people who don't, people like us, God, who are just normal people. You use people like us to grow the kingdom because of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would do that through us, God, as individuals and as a church. Help us to build bridges with our neighbors and have just ways that we can talk to them about things that matter most to us. Help us, God, give us supernatural patience when we're under fire, uh, not to blow up at people, not to be hostile towards people, but to love them with a forbearing love, God, the kind that you have loved us with. We need supernatural help there. Because that's not in our flesh. We get defensive and prideful. So please help us to witness to others with our lives and with our words, with your grace and with your truth. We love you and pray this in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen.